Friends, how are we doing today? Happy Mother's Day. It's good to see you. I was uh, there singing with you and in, in prayer with you, and I, I couldn't help but uh, reflect just a little bit on, on a number of you. I won't call you out by name. I will bring you up and line you up in a minute, but um, I'm kidding. Uh, we, we've walked a road together. Uh, it's been almost 15 years since a group of about six of us gathered in Jen and I's living room. Our kids were really little. Uh, we did kids' ministry in the garage back then, and we would just kind of, you know, clear out the paint thinner and, uh, you know, the gasoline and tell them don't drink that, and uh, that's real news. And uh, over those years, we've walked quite a road together, and some of you have joined that journey in the last 10 years, in the last uh, 10 weeks even. And I say all that to say this. Uh, I'm learning, uh, as I have been one of those who's been blessed with a really, really excellent mom who's uh, been core to my life, my whole life, and is still with me. I haven't had to yet mourn that. Uh, that is not the case for everybody today. I recognize Mother's Day brings up a whole tempest of emotions for a whole bunch of us, and I wish I could snap my finger and make it better, uh, but of course, that would be foolish to even attempt, other than to just say, we hold space for that today. And uh, this is a sacred spot that we gather together. And some of you come today in a spirit of mourning, and you see uh, the, uh, the, the fake mimosas and the strawberries, and you go, yeah, it's not a day of celebration for me. And, and others, uh, like me, show up and go, man, I can't, I can't wait to celebrate. Um, so uh, we, we just we bear that together. That's part of community. And so I um, want to recognize that and if today is a particularly difficult day for you, uh, I want to challenge you. I'm going to challenge you on a few things today, but I want to challenge you right out the gate to be bold enough and courageous enough to go to somebody safe today and say, today's a hard day. Uh, somebody who you don't think is going to try and fix it, because I'm guessing that's the last thing you want or need, but just somebody who will hold that space with you and say, wow, I didn't know that. I didn't know today's a hard day for you. And you may not even want to say why. Yep, I don't want to go into it. I just, I need you to know. I need somebody to carry that with me. And I don't know exactly what it is, friends. I'm sure there's a Bible verse or nine to prove it. Uh, but something sacred happens in that moment when we invite somebody in to, to a, a scary spot for us, and they hold that with us and, and recognize that. So God bless you. Thanks for coming out on Mother's Day, especially um, you moms. It's good to be. Good to be together. The Apostle Paul's uh, famous words in Romans chapter 12, if, you, if you've been around Bible or you've been around church any period of time, this may be real familiar words that he says in Romans chapter 12, but they're really rooted and aimed at helping us understand what it is, what it looks like to become Christian. Today we wrap up our series that's gone on for five or six weeks called Becoming Christian. And for a lot of us, if you're like me, you were raised in an environment where becoming a Christian was actually a pretty simple task. You had a, a little white card in front of you and, and you checked the right box that said, I'm surrendering my life or I give my, you know, something like that. And then you raised your hand and you prayed. And then depending on how baptistic or charismatic, you then had to come down front, right? Are we together on that? Like that's, for a lot of us, that's sort of been the experience. For those of you who were raised in a Catholic or a non-religious environment, I know a number of you who began your walk and journey with Jesus in this very church. And I think of one particular friend who's been with us a long time who came to me after coming to church about six or eight weeks and 
said, I, I, I think I might be a Christian. And I said, oh, really? Tell me about that. He goes, well, I, I haven't like prayed a prayer specifically or anything like that, but um, I find myself thinking about God all the time and wanting to do the things that Jesus want me to do and finding joy in living the way Jesus would live. I, I think, I'm pretty sure that makes me a Christian. Um, and I said, hallelujah, hallelujah. Uh, let's get baptized, you know? And my friend said, I don't know. Well, anyway, uh, I, I don't want to give it away. So uh, this idea of becoming Christian, we, we've been raised in a religious environment. And, and if you haven't been raised in that religious environment, you, you actually may be steps ahead in this. It may be a gift to you. But we've been raised in a religious environment where we, we merely believe a couple of things on a page and that checks the proper boxes and then we're in and then there's a second gear that we can shift into, which is actually following Jesus. So I, I'm already a Christian, and now I have a decision either to or not to follow Jesus, which is, sad to be so blunt on a Sunday morning, insanity. It's insane to call yourself something whom you don't follow. You know, it's like, Somebody who tells me, oh, I'm a runner, and I not not to pick on them. I go, oh, really? Well, when do you run? Well, I haven't ran in 20 years. <laughs> okay, well, so you were a runner, or you know, you know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> I'm a Christian. Well, tell me about your following Jesus. Well, I don't really follow Jesus. And and none of that is none of that is rooted in a sense of but in a sense of judgment or in a sense of let me decide whether you're a Christian or not. That's not what's beneath the hood there at all. What's under the hood there is, what does it look like for us to become followers of Jesus? Alan Hirsch, in his book, The Forgotten Ways, famously uh, says it this way, and, and it's not an end-all, be-all, it's not a fix-all, it's not an easy button, but he says this really poignantly. He says, more often than not, we act our way into a new way of believing. Yet evangelicalism has taught us that we believe our way into a new way of living. And more often, it's not a, it's not a fix-all, but more often than not, that's just simply not true. We don't simply believe our way into a new way of living. I, you stand at the edge of a 40-foot cliff, kids, plug your ears, in Hawaii or wherever else, you're going to jump into the water. The reason you don't immediately jump with no fear is because you have not yet acted your way into a new way of believing you're not going to die. Right? The, the, the fear at the edge of that cliff, even if you've done it 30 times, and that the bit of exhilaration is the thought that, well, I'm about to do something, I'm not 100% is going to go well. Act our way into a new way of believing. And that does not mean that in our Christian faith, there aren't things we believe. There are absolutely things we believe. And, and let us not be one of those churches where the pendulum is pinned on one end and then we pin it on the other end. That, we have a name for that. It's called immaturity. So let's, let's find the, the middle ground of this because there are indeed things that we are to believe. If you weren't with us last week and you want to uh, dive into some things to believe, that's what we covered in Romans 10 last week. Things like, God being real and alive and at work in this world. These are things we choose to believe as followers of the way. Uh, they don't always come easy, and sometimes we have to act our way into that way of believing, but these are things that are, are pretty crucial to the Christian faith. Things like Christ's simultaneous deity and humanity, all of which converged on the cross and the empty tomb. This is a core 
doctrine of the Christian faith. Now, it's not easy to believe all the time for all people, all places, but we choose to believe that, and sometimes we act our way into that belief. However, more often than not, the, the picture painted for us in Scripture of a Christian it is a picture of a person or a people becoming in process, not quite there yet, right? Being transformed. And that process of transforming, that process of transformation would be of no importance to us without a father in heaven. It would be of no interest to us without his son. And it would be impossible without the spirit. This triune God that scripture teaches us is so critical to our life and faith and practice of the Christian way. So how do we become Christian increasingly in each and every day? Turn with me to Romans chapter 12 if you have not already. and Let's dive in there. You can, uh, as Vincent mentioned, you can scan the QR code behind me. Um, if you want to get to it that way, it'll just pop right up on your phone. Uh, or if you're using a printed copy of the scriptures, feel free to turn there, Romans 12. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Spirit, triune God, perfectly content in your community, not nervous, not worried about this world. You're not wringing your hands in heaven, wondering how we screwed it up. You're not pacing back and forth at the, at the entrance to hell, looking to throw more people there. You're not fuming with rage at your people. In fact, your scriptures teach a, a pretty opposite story to that. That you're patient and that you're always giving yourself for your people. And you're longing for us to know you. And that no matter how angry we find ourselves, no matter how far from you we find ourselves or indifferent or turbulent internally, you manage to meet us in those places free of judgment, saying, come with me, my daughter. Come with me, my son. Let me teach you my ways. For my yoke is easy, and the burden I give you is light. So we pray in these moments, teach us your way, O Lord, as King David often prayed. <clears throat> teach us your way so we might walk in your truth. Amen. Paul writes in Romans 12, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you're better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourself by the faith God has given you. Just as our bodies have many parts, and each part has a special function, 
So it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong. We all belong. Say it with me. We all belong to each other. You are not your own. I am not my own. And I, for one, don't like that at all. All that was the stew paraphrased version. Uh, let's get back to the actual text. Uh, verse 6. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God's given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you are a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take that responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. We'll uh, pick up the rest of the text here in a few moments, but that gives us a fairly large uh, piece of meat on the plate to chop up and make some sense of. And uh, maybe the, the best way to start, at least in my mind, is to think of a young child. Uh, imagine like a four or five-year-old. A few of you have four or five-year-olds. Many of us have had four or five-year-olds. Uh, if you don't have a context for how this four or five-year-old behaves, we'd like to invite you to volunteer in our kids' class. No, I'm kidding. Uh, I mean, you can, but that wasn't the purpose of it. Uh, and I want you to imagine that four or five-year-old in the midst of one of their most monumental temper tantrums. Right? Uh, all that she or he wants has been denied. Maybe it was a treat or, or a TV show or maybe the ability to do something they want to do or being enforced to do something they don't want to do. But in their powerlessness of that moment, they flip into a five-year-old rage. Now, it's been... A long time since my kids were five years old. So I say it now with a smirk because it's like kind of cute when I see your five-year-old fit into a rage and I go, oh, that'll be fun for you. Um, okay, bye-bye. Some of you right now are, you know, shaking back and forth, having post-traumatic stress. You're like, I just dropped my kid off at class. Can you please stop talking? You know, uh, but this monumental temper tantrum. And they're dissatisfied with, with whatever decision has been made by that evil dictator who's in charge, or in even worse cases, both evil dictators who are in charge. No candy at 7 a.m., you say? This is an outrage. And they kick and they scream. No more shows at 9 p.m.? How dare you? You're the worst ever. And they're temper tantrums for sure, right? And depending on your exhaustion level as a parent or, or caretaker or nanny or grandparent, you may find it laughable in the moment or you may just find yourself completely frazzled and at your wit's end of trying to figure out what to do. But it, it provides for us this little window into human nature. And I wish I could say that the temper tantrums go away when we turn 45 or 47, or 51. Now, for most of us, the temper tantrums get a little more socially acceptable, and we learn how to shape them so that 
only the people around us who we long to punish in that moment can read that we're having an internal temper tantrum. Sometimes we fly off the handle and holes get put in walls or things get thrown or, or whatever. But, but generally the temper tantrum, it's a big long sigh at a request. How many of you, this is your spiritual gift, the big long sigh. <laughs> Some of you have a name. I'm not looking at any of you. <laughs> <laughs> or it's an eye roll. Or it's a shrugged shoulder. Or it's a, I'm not having this conversation with you again right now. And maybe it's an exaggeration to say that's an internal rage, but, but these are the physical manifestations of what's going on inside of us, to which Paul is saying, present your body as a sacrifice to God, holy and pleasing to him. Allow, train, discipline your body to fall in line with the way of Christ. So that the sigh is revolting to you. So the fist through a wall makes you just a little sick to your stomach. Not in a, oh, you've really been a bad, horrible woman or man, but in a, I don't want to be that person who does that thing. I would like for even my body to fall in line with the way of Christ. How many times in the New Testament, for those of you who are New Testament studs, did Jesus sigh? <laughs> oh, again? There's a few times where he says, oh my goodness, I didn't come here to do all these miracles. I came to announce the kingdom. But I mean, by and large, is Jesus irritated with his people? It's that classic phrase, I'm not angry, I'm frustrated. You know, angry is just pink. I mean, it's still red, right? You know, it's like, it's just a, a degree of separation from anger. There's a, a saying, I believe it comes out of the therapy, the counseling world, that the body keeps the score. There's some, a lot of truth to that. A lot of truth to that. This idea that our soul is whispering to us at all times. It's whispering what's going on. It's whispering the, the want and the desire that's being denied. It's whispering the, the longing that isn't being fulfilled. It's, it's whispering the loneliness that you're feeling. It's whispering the desperation for whatever that thing is you've been denied. And the soul whispers, and if we'll attend to the soul and bring our, our body, our very person in line with the way of God and how to respond to our soul, really good things happen. But if we don't pay attention to our soul, the body will scream. Hypertension, overeating, overexercising, all the other things. That's not to say that everybody with hypertension has, has issues in their soul. It's not a straight line. But as you well know, sometimes our health is at its worst when we're at our most stressed. Well, that line's pretty straight, right? Paul doesn't merely say that we should obey God's way. Paul doesn't merely even say that we should present our bodies as a living sacrifice once for all. He says it's a living sacrifice, like, like a living document that's constantly being updated and edited as, as our world 
presses in on us. Even our very person is being invited to come in line with the way of God as a living organism. This thing that we all, it's about the last piece of autonomy we have in this world. I have one of those jobs where I can't just say whatever I want on Facebook. Some of y'all should get one of those jobs. It might actually do good for you. I don't know. Like, I, I don't have autonomy over what I get to say in life. It's just one of those jobs, right? Some of you have one of those jobs where there's certain things you just can't do or you lose your job. You've lost that bit of autonomy. Some of you can't get a tattoo or you lose your job. So if you're in law enforcement, we're, you can't have a beard, right? Still in law enforcement, can't grow a beard? I'm looking, at, depends on the agency, right? There's an autonomy lost. And, and by and large, we as people just don't like that kind of thing, right? We push against it. What does all this have to do with becoming Christian? What kind of has everything to do with becoming Christian? What kind of has everything to do with it? Because the challenge here is to learn how to surrender ourselves. And, and God, creating us in his image, knows that we are people who hold this space in this body and that there will be nothing more difficult to tame than the body. In fact, one particular part, the tongue, right? You see, the call here, the, the challenge presented to us is to give them as a willing sacrifice. To say, God, what would you have me do with this body of mine? That means schedule. That means this body can only be in one place at one time. God, where would you want me to be on Sunday at 10 a.m.? And don't, don't feel the overtones there of church. Imagine Wednesday at 3 p.m. My point is, are we the type of people who would even ask God, God, where, where do you want me to place myself on a Wednesday at 3 p.m.? That's a body thing. That's a presence thing. And Paul doesn't stop at merely that, right? And so... As is the way of Christianity, so often we're, we're called to act out our way into a new way of believing. Paul says, don't copy the behavior, act. Don't copy the behavior, but let God transform you by changing the way you think, belief. Right? So he, he's, he's arguing for this. And again, it's not always this way, so don't think of it as a straight line, linear path. But even Paul in this moment is saying, we're going to act our way into a new way of believing. So be careful how we act, especially with our person. Because the way we act with our person is shaping the way we think. And all that begins with sacrificing one's body. And Paul, I think, would argue that that sacrificing of the body begins with the mind. They say, God, transform the way I think. I want to think different. I want to think different. And you've heard me reference it before, and I'll, I'll keep referencing it in no specificity. We've got an election coming up. And I think most of us arrive at that already with our mind made up. And I have yet to meet anybody who doesn't know they're right. Well, guess what? We can't all be right. 
<laughs> so what if we arrived at the election? I don't care if it's your school board or if it's your city council or you know whatever, um, but we arrived at that going, God, I, I lay my body, my mind on the altar of Jesus, change the way I think. That I would even think your way in this thing. You see, all that God has dreamed for his church sits on the other side of personal sacrifice. Everything God wants for his church sits on the other side of personal sacrifice. Us saying, this is where the individuality comes in. Us saying, we raise our hand and go, you know what? I'm willing to sacrifice. I'll, I'll give up my thing on that. You know what? I'll, I'll give up my time for that. You, you know what? I'm going to give up my perspective on that. You know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give up my desire to speak out on that. I'm gonna, whatever it is, I, I'm going to sacrifice for that because I actually think that in my sacrifice, we get closer as a communal people toward the way of Jesus in our midst. And once we commit to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, God can begin to change the way we think. And through that process, he'll, he'll discover, uh, help us discover, pardon, our unique abilities in the kingdom. You see, there is a sequential nature to this that Paul lays out, and, and Paul tended to be a fairly linear theologian, but he lays out this sort of sequencing of the surrendering of body and the changing of mind precedes the understanding of gifts. You know, I don't really know what my gifts are in the body. And, and I don't mean like the, the big C Christian church, the big C church. I, most of us who are following Christ in some way have some idea of sort of the gifts we bring to the table. But I, I mean, uh, the community, <laughs> us. And you may be sitting there going, yeah, I don't even know where I am with disciples. I don't know if I'm just kind of hanging out still or if I'm checking it out or if I'm really all in. I don't, oh, man, I don't really want to be all in. I was all in once before and it was really exhausting. And no, I, yeah, I get it. Um, wish I could tell you, no, it's, gonna, it's not going to be exhausting. No, it's exhausting. Community is exhausting. It just is. Um, shouldn't be overwhelming. But it's exhausting. But, but all of us look at that thing and it's, it's in the process of sacrificing, changing our mind that then we discover, hey, this is the one contribution I can make to this community of friends that would be really unique and really helpful. Look back at uh, verses six through eight. He says, in his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you're a teacher, teach well. If you encourage, encourage. If you give, give. If God's given you leadership, lead. And if you have a gift for showing kindness, do it gladly. And here's where we get ourselves back. Sort of our agency comes back to us. But, but don't miss this. Our agency is a gift to us to bless the world. This is like Abraham's stuff. This is uh, Abraham's, I'm making you a blessing so that you can be a blessing. So your autonomy, your individuality, your unique life experience and training and skill set is not 
necessarily or even primarily for you or for me. It's for us. The picture here is all of that is designed to be a gift so that we sacrifice it to each other. And I see that in you all the time, friends. I see it in you all the time. We'll tell some of these stories in greater depth this fall. But Sean Dugan, who I haven't yet seen here yet today. So, oh, he's not here. Let's talk about him behind his back. Um, <laughs> Sean has been in, and I'm, I'm, I know I'm aging myself now, but he's been in what I would describe as sort of the heavy metal scene for a long time. And I, I'm embarrassed to even say it that way because I'm sure that's not the proper way to say it anymore. But he's been in kind of that heavy metal band scene forever, which like blew me away when I got to know Sean because he's just this tender, quiet, soft-spoken guy. And then you see the pictures of him on stage. Um, just awesome. <laughs> and some months back, he began to feel a burden that there's no venues that are positive for that kind of music. And there's no venues allowed for kids who are under 21 to come see the kind of music they love. And he said, hey, I, I think I'd like to turn Disciples, the church building, Friday nights once a month into a venue where we would have a positive, wonderful, safe space for kids to come see heavy metal music. And I'm going to promote bands, and I'm going to bring them in, and we're going to pay the bands really well because we don't want to make any money on it. We're going to take really good care of the bands. We're going to have a safe space for teenagers. So Folsom area teenagers have a cool, safe space to come on Friday night. And I'm just going, yes! Right? That's somebody saying, I, I've got this really weird, unique experience. I don't know if it would be any help. I got this life experience, I've got this knowledge, I've got this skill, I've got this passion, and I'd like to, I'd like to give it as a gift to the church. Sarah went through a life-crushing loss some years back and lost her husband. And through the process of grief, it said, I, I'd like to give myself as a gift to those also in grief and started a grief share ministry that meets in this space on Friday nights and is caring for mostly these women, but also one gentleman, but just caring for these people who are grieving. I just got to hang with some of them Thursday night uh, in a, at a casual gathering. and uh, Just to see her pastoring so well and giving that gift where most of us would just lock down and say, oh, this is too dark a place. Nobody's coming into this dark place with me. What a gift to give that away. Michelle Nation has volunteered her time to serve on Folsom's Hope board, on the board at Folsom's Hope, and giving herself away to that. Church, you're the kinds of people who are doing this. Hallelujah. Praise God. Way to go, church. All that God has dreamed for his church sits on the other side of personal sacrifice. Okay, let's in our closing moments pick up in verse 9. Moms, we're going to get you to brunch on time, I promise, okay? We're committed. He says, don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what's wrong. Hold tight to what's good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and, and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them and always be eager to practice hospitality. We have on, on the one side of this 
kind of teeter-totter, if you will, this idea of personal sacrifice so that the church can be all Jesus has intended her to be, sacrifice, personal sacrifice. On the other side of this teeter-totter, this very important counterbalance to that is this activity of love. In fact, Paul writes elsewhere in Colossians chapter 3 that we're to put on love like a garment, as if love doesn't always come natural. Like we, we got to Okay, I'm going to that meeting, or I'm going to see that person, or I'm going to that event. I'm putting on love because it's hard. these are hard people to love, or that's a hard person to love. Love is activity. Love is commitment. But the, the lesson or the training and the teaching here for us in becoming the kinds of Christians that Jesus invited is to love each other with genuine affection, to love one another. To be the kinds of people who don't merely avoid those who are difficult to love, as is my tendency at my worst. Oh, that person's tough to love, I'm going to avoid. But to say, I'm going to run right headlong into that person. A person in my life who is very difficult to love. A, a gorgeous soul, but a very difficult guy to love. And, uh, and I, for him, am the same. And we've had this conversation a number of times. So we meet once a month. And we've decided we're going to meet once a month and we're just going to hear each other's story and see if we can't figure out how to love each other. That is not what I want to do. It's not what I say. And it wasn't my idea, so don't, you know, no pats on my back. But this concept of, I, I bet if I would sit down and hear this guy's story and hear kind of what made him him and he would hear some of my story, we, we would find a way to love one another. But more often than not, we've just been trained that, nope, those aren't my people. I'll just avoid them. But the teaching here for us in becoming the kinds of Christians Christ would call us to be is to love one another with genuine affection. See, love is this never-ending pursuit of all who are becoming Christian. Love is a never-ending pursuit. And I think this is everything. And the question is, am I moving towards greater depths of love or am I moving away from greater depths of love? And I would agree that to some extent that can be different. There are those in our lives who we're deeply committed to and, and it may be a little easier to move toward genuine love and affection for those people in our lives. But what about those people in our lives who aren't so easy? Because the stipulation here isn't for those who you like being around, that Jesus taught often that anybody can love the people who like them. It's loving our enemy that is a true test of our transformation. Am I more easily and naturally loving those with whom I disagree? Am I saying words to those who I disagree, things like help me understand, instead of, oh, that's a nice perspective. So this counterbalance of personal sacrifice and love. And moms, <laughs> y'all do it better than anybody. You just do. You just There's just a natural maternal thing in moms and women in general, but we see it exercised in moms so well. This just ability to love these little booger eaters when they just drive everybody else crazy, right? And we can watch that and we can learn from that. And we can say, I want to have that in me for all. 
goes on to write in verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them, but pray that God will be a blessing and be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other and don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, may we be the kinds of people who are found to have an increasing measure of love in our lives and our practice. May we be the kind of church that is full of people who are increasingly becoming the kinds of people who sacrifice ourselves for the good of the body, who say, I'm going to give up a bit of my individuality, my freedom, my autonomy, my agency, so that the church can be a more beautiful expression of the living Jesus. It will only be possible through the power of your spirit. We recognize that. And so we ask you, even in these closing moments, Jesus, would you give us eyes to see and hearts to hear the ways in which your spirit is inviting us into a new way of life, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.